Welcome back to the Sounds Curious Podcast. We are in the middle of a cathedral right now in France. And we're listening to chant. And I kind of want to take a moment and linger on the transition from the opening Kansas carry on my wayward son into this chant I think both pieces represent a similar longing and I love this field recording because it captures all the extraneous sounds of being in a large cathedral no matter how much you try (laughs) To be quiet, you really just can't. Anytime you move, it's going to be amplified a million times and that sound is going to hang in the air. But I think what motivated the two pieces, uh, Kansas, Carry On My Wayward Son on the one hand, and this obviously religious devotional chant is something that is, of course, indescribable. And we touch on it a lot in this week's episode. So this week we are absolutely geeking out again. This time about the show Supernatural and the use of music and religious metaphor in that particular show. So if you're a fan of Supernatural, welcome. We are too. We love the show. Um, And we also really like deeply listening to 
contemporary media sometimes because it shows us a lot about ourselves. And I want to take a minute, since I used way too much of Kansas in the opening to uh, really escape the accusations of copyright infringement. I do want to say that I played so much of the opening because I really want to get into this piece in this episode. And we're going to talk a lot about why it is so perfect for Supernatural. It dominates a lot of the discussion that is to come. But I also wanted to really highlight a moment in pop culture history and remind everyone who's listening to the show today what an incredible track this is. Now, I bought the Kansas Left Overture album on vinyl. It was one of the first albums that I purchased with my own money. So yeah, dating myself pretty badly right there. But it was also an album that I have purchased over and over again and updated in media several times because even though it's come in and out of fashion, it's one of those pop music icons. And when I say pop music, you know, obviously we don't think of rock in that regard. Rock is coded much more as masculinist and all of that stuff, which we'll get into in the show. But nonetheless, it is popular music, ergo the phrase. But nonetheless, it has really stood the test of time in a lot of ways. And I think it so perfectly captures the epic narrative that is present in the monoculture, which we will also talk about in the episode. Anyway, I I want to simply highlight uh, how great it is to still go back and purchase albums that we love and update the formats and give the artists some money, support them. Um, and we certainly are not trying to infringe on their copyright. If anything, we're trying to uh, critically review their importance in mainstream culture as well as contemporary media culture. So um, we will move right along. Today's guest again was recorded live at the International Conference on the Fantastic and the Arts. Uh, I've known Regina Hansen for a while now and have wanted to sit her down for this interview. So uh, without further ado, I will turn it over to the conversation in Orlando. Uh, Once again, if you want to know anything more about the articles or the music or the topics that we cover today, you can find those in the show notes for this uh, episode on iTunes, as well as over at www.bansheemedia.com. Go to the Sounds Curious page and you'll see links to the audio for this show. You'll see links to articles and books that we discuss. So check out the show notes once again, www.bansheemedia.com. And once again, I want to thank the folks over at the International Association for the Fantastic and the Arts. Their yearly conference was a great opportunity to get some of these conversations done live. Anyway, without further ado... Let's go to the conversation with Regina Hansen in Orlando and Supernatural and the performance of masculinity and geek out about the whole thing. Masquerading as a man of the season. Masquerade is the event of the season. And did I 
were talking to Regina Hansen, who I have wanted to have this conversation with <laughs> for years because we're going to talk about a subject that is both near and dear to my heart and all too often disparaged, Yeah, which is the series Supernatural, <laughs> which it still know, manages to survive, though, no which survives with this enormous <laughs> fan base. And, uh, and, you know, we have this plethora of paranormal shows and just, you know, all this stuff that, um, you know, ghost adventures and all this sort of thing. Right. And yet, you know, here we have this incredibly mythological and religious tale, but something that's told in this metaphor of, you know, young stupid men right. trying to, you know, make peace with their family relationships and their own, you know. So I can't say enough good things about Supernatural, but you are the expert. Um, so why don't you say <laughs> Me a little bit... Me and Susan George. Susan George, also expert. <laughs> exactly. There are many other experts, but, um, but I have you. <laughs> and so um, I want to give you a second to introduce yourself and then, um, yeah, just tell us a little bit about how you got involved in this and, and what attracted you to talk about the show. Sure. So... Um, I'm Regina Hansen. I teach at BU and what I Boston University, and and what I usually like to write about is the um, resonances of traditional uh, biblical and the, and, and um, early Christian theology in popular culture, and which you wouldn't think there'd be any of, and yet it's everywhere. And a supernatural is a place, especially that fourth and fifth season arc where you really saw those resonance coming out, this, um, the, what angels are, what they represent, um, angels in the biblical and theological sense, which is very different from the Oprah sense. Yes, very much so, the new age sense of the <laughs> exactly. higher self and the, the light and love of you know, contemporary society, yeah. Right, and, and I mean, I watched, okay, to be honest, I watched Supernatural for fun and because the guys were cute, when I oh, started, so cute. oh, so cute, <laughs> right? And so little when they were young, so, so young, so young and cute. Um, because you know, I'm I'm vain and shallow. But, <laughs> but as I was watching it, I realized I saw you know they started to do. It started off as urban myths that they you know they, it was sort of like more like Kolchak, the Night Stalker, Monster of the Week, and I really liked the Monster of the Week episodes. But then over the you know second third season, they started to introduce this arc that was reflective of um, sort of, it was Miltonic, but also yes. had a sort of um, apocalyptic, you know, revelations arc. And um, fourth and fifth season was where that really came to a head. You can't see my hands moving, so I don't know why I'm doing it. We're just <laughs> stimulating podcast listeners, but you can't see us. You can't see. <laughs> um, and started to see how really they were interested in trying to reflect those narratives, those those truly ancient narratives, and and I just got sucked into it. And since I already was interested in it, that anyway, I, I write about um, Catholicism in the X Files as well, and um, and I am Catholic, so so I was interested in those things anyway. And and so that that's really where I, I focused my attention. And as and so they both the fourth and fifth season completed that arc and so yes. you know and and the boys became surrogates for the brother and sister the brother and sister the um the two brother angels lucifer and michael right. and and that traditional arc that is reflective of the sort of theology um was completed but they've gone on and now tried interesting new things 
Um, they, they did a season where they, they were in purgatory. They did a season, uh, this season, this season's interesting because this, this 10th, 10th season. 10th season. I have not, I, in the interest of full disclosure, I am, I'm caught up through season nine, but I have not ventured through the entire la, the, the, right. the season that just came out. Right. And, and well, understandably. And, but, but this, they're, now they're talking the character, the, the big bad character is, is the darkness. So this whole idea of, you know, in the beginning, everything was dark, darkness lay upon the face of the deep and all this stuff like, and so the character is the darkness, God's sister, who is embodied, you know, clearly as this gorgeous woman. And it's a really clever idea. I mean, at first I'm like, what? Well, I've got another dark-haired, pale woman who's the bad guy. But they, <laughs> they both love, they're both attracted and repelled by women of a certain coloring for some reason. Anyway, but it's a cool idea. What an idea Very to embody, so. you know? And actually, it, it, to me, this is the place where they finally intersect with mm. the sort of revol the revolutionary approach to, in a sense, kind of once you're off book, you know, when you've gone beyond right. the book. And, and to me, that screams Buffy. You know, to it me, does. that's, you know, the, the first evil. I see that very much as a correlation to this next season, even though I haven't seen it yet. So I don't know what the right No, you're it. absolutely right. And, and I love that. And that's what happened after the fifth season is they started, you know, the fifth season began a process of deconstructing these narratives. And, 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 and they, I'm going to plug for myself in the article that I wrote in our book um, I talk about how it begins that process but it doesn't complete it yes and but they've continued in various ways to play with these themes and and re rejigger them reuse them yes uh, and what I love about that is both the creativity of the show and also the fact that these themes are still relevant in their own way and can be reused I love that you which I, I you know and, and for me that's part of the I, you know, this, that I associate Supernatural as well with this kind of um, post-postmodern reworking. It's almost as if we feel as a culture that we've gone beyond the book. Right. And so we are trying to renegotiate these very ancient concepts yes. in light of a much more global understanding or awareness of spirituality right. and and certainly the role and function of religions and it's almost as if all of these different seasons are all of these different series with all of these different sort right. of narratives arcs are ending up at the same place they are i, I know I, I think that's absolutely true and it's funny that you mentioned that because I'm, I'm thinking of an episode and and in some ways i will say that the show sometimes it parallels a lot of, of Neil Gaiman's work with, with, you know, bringing the gods alive in the world and walking around. I'm and, glad you mentioned Neil Gaiman, yes. You know, and even that four and five season arc, I kept thinking, did they read Good Omens before, you know, right? I, I, we can only assume. <laughs> we can only assume. So, but there's an episode um, in, in, in that arc in which all the gods are sitting around a table trying to deal with, you know. At a, at a country hotel. At a country hotel and... And basically trying to deal with this Armageddon thing. And how come no one's paying attention to them? And, and, and so there's all these negotiations of, you know, we're important gods too, <laughs> <And> <laughs> which I love. A, and it's a fantastic episode too in the way they mark 
this diner in the middle of nowhere. You know, it, yeah. it, we, we associate ancient religion with these mystical, magical places. And yeah. in a strange way, this diner is absolutely marked as a mystical, magical place. Right. But in reflecting contemporary culture, it's a little country hotel with a restaurant. In right, paneled, panel walls. Exactly, <laughs> you know, naughty pie, yeah. and, you know, good old diner cooking. Yeah. So it's almost as if, yeah, the, the gods are now brought down right well and that's what I kind of want and 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 when I look at, at supernatural it, it really advances the human and the guys are the human they stand for the human and 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 if you are a god or an angel who is for the human the human then they're for you I mean Castiel Castiel even when he's at his worst he's trying to help people Very much and so. he can he can totally screw up and become you know bad really bad but it's always about I can help Human beings, his, his association with human beings, and and um, Gabriel, uh, the shapeshifter, he loved. He went away and hid. He couldn't stand the fights. Gods are a pain in the ass. Angels are fighting all the time. He didn't want to be part of that. So, left, hung around with people. Human beings are what matter. Human beings are always what matter in this show. And of course, we we have to find Metatron, right? Where he has you know sequestered himself amongst a native tribe who bring him offerings of stories. Right, right. Well, and now this is maybe going off, and stories are, of course, what, and you can you can say that, and again, I'm a, I'm a religious person, but I, I believe I can say this without, I, I still think I can say that stories are what bring, in the sense of God's to life. I mean, these, the, 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 the transcendent world, the metaphysical world is in part created through story, maintained, or at least maintained through stories. Yes, yes. And and so it makes sense that Metatron would. Mm-hmm. And you know. for most traditional religions, yeah. storytelling is not just a form of religious practice. It's a form of physical healing. Right. It's a form of collective memory. Yeah. And so when we sound these stories again, you know, where our sound waves in the present are right. vibrating, the sound waves of the ancients and the ancestors, which are still rippling out in space. Well, and somewhere. the world and and so we, if you look at. Um, God said there be light, spoke the world into being, Spider-Woman sings the world into being, you know, all, there's all of these creative, you know, creative, creative and creation stories yes. that are about language and story, creating the world, maintaining the world, and, and so, and I think the show addresses that all the time. So this brings me to one of my biggest, um... Uh, oh, love affairs. Yes, I'm going to go that far. Love affairs with a show is the way they use a very particular soundtrack in time to convey the emotional... I knew you wanted to talk about music at some point. Uh, I'm I'm sorry, people. I just, I, I can't help it. I just, and especially in this show, because I think what you're saying about First of all, you know, I want to, you know, echo that point about the humanity. I think right. that the, the story is ultimately a, a very human one. Right. And, uh, you know, certainly for shows that I look at now, I was just discussing in my paper, um, you know, the choice to deal with 
humans in a narrative, which means dealing with our brokenness and our mistakes. Sure. And yeah. sometimes, in the case of Castiel, how our best intentions lead yeah. us to our absolute worst decisions. Yes. And I love, incidentally, that he was a mind, he was initially only written into one or two episodes. Yeah, people but Misha, loved him. Misha Baron was so <laughs> phenomenal, and yeah. they had to keep him. And, of course, yeah. now he's doing Geshwiz, which is the, the greatest, what is it, the... Uh, Greatest international scavenger hunt ever imagined. So he's yeah. he's got this um, this almost global role now. As he's got a cult. He he's has an a angel cult. and he has a cult. Thank you for he saying does. that. Yeah. I, you know, he really does. And so there's these ways in which the show is also kind of yeah. you know seeping out into and and I have to say if you're ever on Reddit or any of the forums, so often these images of the Winchester boys. Right. are put up to capture people's emotions in yeah. these situations. Right. There's something right. about the way that they convey their emotions. And I think it really does have something to do with music because, you know, when you hear Carry On My Wayward Son, when yeah. you hear, you know, this that, that very particular soundtrack of right. 70s hard rock, Led Zeppelin, yeah. you know, it does something... I think, to the mythological landscape. Right. So I'm curious to know how you see... And of course, that is not music we associate with the Catholic religion at all. In <laughs> right. fact, I think it's we... It's like the devil's music. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so, you know, what is the devil's music doing at the heart of our... Well, I mean, obviously part of it is nostalgia. I mean, it's all music that is too early for the boys to really have experienced, you know... And so it's just, it's it's clearly nostalgia for for their childhoods, for their relationship with their father, and and some of the people in the book um, write about that um, for masculinity of a certain kind, which they you know Dean especially tries to enact, Very you know, always so. having girlfriends, always eating meat, you know, with the mm. fancy car. The car, the car is old. The, Everything about them is almost locked in that that era where that music was was most popular but then what I, what I find is really interesting is that then Dean every once in a while will listen to like super tramp you know and and he'll just leave it on and 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 I remember that episode that Dean left that um a super tramp song on and and Sam turns to look at him and like why are you not turning that off why what you know sort of sometimes Dean will and there are other situations like that where Dean will get he'll forget his performance. Yes. You know, and Thank he'll you. just let some kind of other music that is not this carefully constructed, you know, performance of himself in when he's really at his, whenever something, either when he's really, really happy. Yes. Right? When he forgets himself for happiness. Exactly. Or when he's just too busy thinking about something important that he has to deal with, he'll forget this this masculinity that he's trying to construct and just listen to whatever so that the music really has an incredibly important um, place in the in the um, symbolizing in constructing the, the 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 actual the personalities of these men especially Dean and the masculinity and and also the the identification with the father and and the yeah. era the era when they were all together to and you know what I mean which and 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 I have to see that as a greater metaphor. Yeah. So the music is looking also back to a time in which, and perhaps this is just for masculinity, but perhaps this is something else. Perhaps this is for America. Oh, I think so. Yeah. A time when we were all together. So absolutely using that music. Now, granted, you know we are uh, 
scholars of um, culture, and so we understand that the heteronormative presumption of yeah. you know, masculine supremacy is not something that we, uh, you know, we right. do not hold to that around here. Right. Um, <laughs> but nonetheless, seeing how that plays out in the show, yeah. watching them in essence as every man coming out of a, a very different time. Well, you know what else I always just thinking about this, you know, there was much more than now before, you know, there was a monoculture of, of musical taste to a certain degree. And, and I mean, I learned to play Carry On My Wayward Son on the recorder. I got a little book of rock songs and I learned to play it on the recorder. On the recorder, you know? people. On <laughs> the recorder. You know what I'm saying? There, there was, and so even if you, there are songs that come on now that I didn't like when they were on. But now... They remind me of an era and then things I was doing at that time. And, and, and I think, yeah, there, there's a sort of, and it's funny, there was, um, I wish you could remember the guy who wrote it in Shalon recently, there was an article called I Missed the Monoculture. You know, uh, and all about, you know, we could all get behind, and even if people were arguing and didn't like something, but it was all, there was a sense at least, and I'm not saying that I'm necessarily nostalgic for it. Right, most women and people of color <laughs> and, you know, queers right. are not really I'm not particularly for nostalgic for it. I am and I'm not. Right. You know, I'm, 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 I mean, because nostalgia also is a really double-edged sword. I mean, I, I think it's nice to think of being a little, a young child and the big boys listening to that music and, yeah. you know, my, my uncle or, or, or whatever. Yeah. And, and so in, you know, when, when I grow up, I'll be able to buy my own records. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know what I mean? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, so I do definitely think that there's a, there's a nostalgia for a pop, popular cultural, a pop cultural, a musical monoculture, but then also meaning uh, then a nostalgia for a certain way of being, understanding how things work. This is a good way to be. Yeah. This is a bad way this to be. This is good. This is evil. This is good. This is evil. And, and as much as they try to pretend, especially Dean, that they don't think there is such a thing, they really quite, they, they, they're always looking for God. Yes. God's never there. And we find out in this season, or the season, last season, maybe, um, that Sam prays. Yes. And so it, it becomes, so there, you know, they're, they're, there's all of this pushback against anything ever possibly being good, mm -hmm. especially from Dean. Right. Right, and yeah. yeah, and as somebody in, in contemporary culture, hmm. I even find you know, and I and I do try and um, you know keep my eyes open, but I I, I confess hmm. I find it much easier for me to believe in evil. Oh sure. Than I yeah. can in good. Yeah. And and you know when um, one of the most moving uh, story arcs for me was when Dean was in purgatory, mm. and not when he was in purgatory, but when he came out. Yeah. And he missed it. Yeah. And he missed it because things were easy there. Right. You're making short-term decisions. Yeah. You're not worrying about the consequences. Right. It's kill or be killed. Right. And in that speech, I hear him sounding the speech of a, of a generation that misses... And, and part of this is just us growing up as individuals. You right. know, our, our lives get infinitely more complex as we get older. Yeah. But part of it is also in our digital global culture. And it's funny because the show almost never deals with digital technologies or global cultures right. in that regard. And yet it seems to be the 
perfect metaphor for a kind of post-digital malaise. Yeah. We miss it when things were simple. When, or when we thought they were simple. Thank you. Excellent yeah. distinction. Yeah. When I was young, it seemed that life was so wonderful. A miracle. Oh, it was beautiful, magical. And all the birds in the trees lay me singing so happily. Oh, joyfully. And you, you, um, again, you're upfront about that in your analysis. And I, uh, so you have a particular insight, I think, as well into how these contemporary narratives that, again, are sort of extending the canon, yeah. kind of intersect with a more secular, let's use right. that word, uh, anxiety right. about the increasing complexity. Of right. everything. How do you see that play out in both the sort of in the individual characters as well? Right. But for instance, in this new season where we have a a darkness that is everywhere and nowhere. Right. You know, very much a virtual. Right. Yeah, that's a really terrific point. And I you know, it's where is it gonna come from? Where's where's the bad going to come from? You know, and, and the darkness feeding on the life force of other people. It's sort of anything, not just anything good in people, but anything at all, anything that keeps people... It's really, they, they die, she, so she feeds off them and they die, but she's not killing them physically. She's, you know, the, the, they are dying because their force, their spirit is being taken away, which is very right. kind of interesting to me. And, and I do think that, that, that there is a, a contemporary sense of, of people um, soullessness. Excellent point. That that we are so much taken up with machinery, and and I I sound like my my nanny. Oh, machine! That's a machine. Everything was a machine, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so or so so I'm using an old fashioned term, but you know, with with computers, with you know the internet and things like that, we're so taken up with something that has no spirit 
because it's just made of wires, or we at least perceive it not as spirit. Although I'm sometimes I wonder. And and you we know? do and we do invest our you know we name our cars. We you right. know, I, I talk to my laptop and yeah. you know when it's when you know if I spilled something on a piece of equipment I talk to it. Right. Uh, you know I insulted uh, someone's yeah. connector the other day in a panel, yeah. and they were immediately offended that I had disparaged yeah. their, their <laughs> connector. So we do have this investment, and yeah. yet I really see this this new kind of enemy. We saw it briefly in Glory in season five of Buffy right. as well. This god who's been, um, you know, from a dark dimension who's been relegated to right. the human dimension. And she has to live on the energy that holds human minds together. Well, yeah, and, and I've got to tell you, I mean, if you ask an older person, like my mother, she, she, she looks at the way people are always on their phones, not looking at each other, and she sees like an emptiness, like what, what's, she, she'll go like this, she'll come up to like, you know, we're not allowed, don't bring the phone to Nana's house, people, you know, she'll come, <laughs> Grandma you know, throw it away. she'll throw it away, um, she'll come and, and put her hand in front of people's faces when they're on the phone and, you know, just, just to see if they'll notice that yes. the hand was there. So, so, I mean, I, I mean, I, I think there's something to what she's do what she says, it, it, it does, it can suck, it, it's got a lot of wonderfulness to it. Absolutely. But the increasing wiredness of our society does have a sort of soul-sucking quality mm -hmm. to it. Um, and and so this character, this dark character that comes in and is, you know... And, and it's what's really weird about it is it, it, that was first. The darkness was first. Mm -hmm. At first there was the darkness. First there was darkness. Now the darkness is back. So are we heading back into the darkness? And, and I see that as yeah. such a metaphor for post postmodernism yeah where we really I mean and and I you know I've brought up another interview Simon Reynolds um, <laughs> concept of retromania and he really points to 1965 as being the moment when pop music stopped moving forward in the right. way that it had and began to recycle right. not just the ancient past yeah. But the very recent past. I mean, right. now our cycle of, true. of 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 you know nostalgia is a year. Fashion too, clothing too. I mean, okay, bell bottom skinny pants, bell bottom skinny pants. You know, and now we can yeah. wear all of them at the same, at time, the same time, and they're all in. Yeah. And so there's this constant sort of recycling, and I'm seeing more and more of these. I'm not going to call supernatural a religious narrative because I don't think it is. No. Even though that is the fundamental metaphor. I think it's humanist without necessarily being secular. That's yes. what I would say. Okay, that's yeah. a perfect, yeah. perfect, perfect uh, description of it. Yeah. Because in a sense, it is using you know just like uh, you know Joss Whedon has done, just like yeah. Neil Gaiman has done. We're yeah. using these old metaphors as ways of telling very contemporary human stories. Right. And whereas we once had enemies that were obvious and physical right. and very much represented specific things yeah it seems as if the big bad yeah has shifted enormously you can't find it anymore it's there it's it's, it's amorphous and it's there right. and it's not yeah it's there and it's not right you can't it's it's always already yeah which is i think a wonderful theoretical term to use that's a terrific dirty in term for for the the darkness was first yeah. but also i think again of of hauntology yeah and how our enemies used to be more a metaphor for old-time warfare yeah whereas now our enemies are much more our own ghosts yeah the ghosts of our own uh, search sure uh, yeah and 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 our own longings our own 
you know, they're haunted by that music. Dean, when Dean, and that, that, that need to perform, to use that music to perform the, and there's something that to, to hold on to. Yes. We're, we're adrift, but carry on my way words, you know what I mean? Exactly. There'll be you know? peace when you're done. That's, there yeah, will there be will peace. peace. There will, that's right. And, and, and way, and just everything about that sort of way, just, it's, it's addressing one, that song is addressing one person. And in the end, in, in the show, there's never a big solution, even though there's, there's, even though there's nostalgia for a monoculture, there's nostalgia for when everybody supposedly believed the same thing. Right. And, you know what I mean? There's, there's never, um, a big solution for anything. It's just all little people keep trying. There's little no people. promise, you know? Yes, there, and there's no yeah. uh, there's no great savior that's going to come down and do this for us. Right. It was interesting, there was a, um, and again, you know, the listeners know that uh, yeah. all of these are being recorded at yeah. a conference, and so we are sometimes referring to other yeah. people's work. Yeah. And there was a moment in a, a panel, the panel where I gave yeah. a paper, in which someone was talking about fan fiction and how we take these narratives, and Lord yeah. knows there's a ton yeah. of supernatural fan fiction. Cool. And, yeah. Oh my goodness, I mean, there's a whole industry right now of people kind of taking this yeah. world and projecting right. themselves into it. But one of the things that I found so... Oh, and I don't want to disparage the paper. It's not that, you know, it's not that what she said was was so offensive. It was this particular fan fiction that I found so offensive because it was um, a fan fiction in which you're supposed to insert yourself. Yes. And it was essentially a woman... I was there for that. Yes, yeah, yeah, it yeah, was a woman who was being beaten up by her boyfriend yeah. and instead of her saving herself, right. the TARDIS shows up <laughs> and Doctor Who steps in. Yeah, and to looking me, looking for a, a rescuer. To yeah. me, I see that as a huge. I mean, my third wave feminist self was like, "I'll yeah. save my own damn self." <laughs> Thank you very much. But in a way, I I immediately related that back to supernatural because yeah. there's a way in which both Sam and Dean have come to that realization. Right. I save my own damn self. I save my own self. Yeah, and and that and and this is a little bit. We just did a, a thing in class. We read Michael Pollan's Why Bother, which is about um, global warming yes. and what can you do. And, and, and he goes through all the things you can't do and all the ways in which we have no control. And he settles on, well, if you grow a garden. And, and he never says, grow a garden and it will stop us having global warming. Right. He just says, grow a garden and worse is going to happen is you're going to have vegetables. Right. You know? and, and, and what he says is, you know, no promises, but it's sometimes it's just good to act as if acting will make a difference. And I, I love that, and I feel that that's, thinking about it now, it really is what Sam and Dean, what the characters, what the human characters and the human affiliated characters, the, the human, like, like, like Castiel, yes. are trying to do. Just trying to act as if it will matter, and they're never going to stop. And that's, that's wonderful in, in the face of all that is against us in the world and, and you know it's embodied in the show as supernatural yes you know it's as as the supernatural supernatural evil and of course as 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 a believing person you're a believing person just not a catholic but you're right. a believing person i you know i think that there is there's forces of you know mostly people do all the crap but there's still something that is guiding people towards good or evil um in the face of that 
all human beings really can do is act as if acting will make a difference. That, so. I think that is absolutely gorgeous. I think yeah. that's a wonderful place to stop. I yeah. I could geek out for many, 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 many more hours <laughs> yeah, on this too. subject, but I mean, ultimately what attracted me to the show initially, in some senses, was this was Dean's performance. Oh, absolutely. I was really interested in this performance of masculinity in the face of what is generally constructed. You know, the supernatural is feminine. Yeah. The supernatural Always. is slippery. Yeah. It's, you know, yeah. it's not something that you can shoot with a gun or, you know, it's it's something that is out of grasp. It's something that you're reaching for but never acquiring. Yeah. And yet in the face of that, I saw this over the top, and particularly, of course, as a musician, I, yeah. I saw it as a musical construction of his own yeah. bravado. Right, and that's a great word for it, yeah. And it made me love him. Yeah. Because I saw the ways in which music was my own bravado. Yeah. And so I immediately connected to him, perhaps, you know, much more so than I should have, as a sort of kindred soul yeah. who was just trying to make sense of what he was supposed to be in the face of what was. He's such an object of, of compassion in that way. And, and Jensen Knuckles, does, is the performance that he gives is, is terrific. He's it, absolutely it, spectacular. Yeah. And of course, we love him from his days in Dark Angel and all of that. All, that, all those things as well, yeah, absolutely. But nonetheless, I, I just, I love ending on that note that we need to act even though there's no guarantee that acting is going to make a difference. Right. And yet it is the mere act in and of itself that becomes so beautiful, particularly when it's drawn against this backdrop of overwhelming odds. That's right. And yet Absolutely. it is the human thing. That's right. Oh. Absolutely. Thank you so much for this. Oh, thanks this for having me. This has been fun. This has been yeah. glorious. So thank you, yeah. thank you, thank Absolutely. you. Well there, podcast listeners, that is the interview with Regina Hansen uh, and the music of Supernatural. It took me forever to figure out what kind of music I wanted to go out on. Now, the musical choices in the episode, obviously the Kansas and the Supertramp, make an awful lot of sense when you consider our discussion. But... In closing out this episode, I've actually chosen a piece of early music, and you can find out all the information on this particular piece. It's by the Tudor Consort, and it's a piece of sacred choral music, and I want to go out on this piece having come in on the Kansas piece because, well, we're big fans of early music and late music and all music in between here at the show. Um... I've also noticed over the years a really powerful relationship between spiritual music. I'm not going to say sacred, although for a long time that is certainly the term that we use to describe it. Spiritual music often displays really abrupt changes of meter and tempo and texture. And certainly the presence of a choir at the opening of Kansas speaks volumes about the artist's desire to recreate a sacred music vibe in their piece. Granted, they interspersed it with 
heavy duty rock ensemble and then very classical piano and we're imitating earlier keyboard instruments in that piano riff so they were certainly using every trick in their musical tool bag to reference early music so for this episode of the podcast we're going to close out uh, with the Tudor ensemble and let the meter changes and the texture changes of this sacred piece resonate in your minds as you think back to the Kansas and hear all their relationships Anyway, we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening.